podcast is brought to you by Welcome to another edition of Watch This or Die podcast, your weekly fix for quality movie recommendations. I'm Scott Crowshar. And I'm Matt LaPlante. And we will be your hosts on this cinematic voyage. Now, it is our goal every week to recommend to you a movie that we not only fucking love, but one that we're pretty damn sure you will too. So over the next 100 minutes or so, we're going to do our very best to convince you to go and check out this movie like your life depends on it. Now, without further ado, the movie that we are recommending to you this week is Blood Simple. What I know about is Texas. Down here, you're on your own. Having a good time? Hey, what's it? Your husband. I got a job for you. It's not strictly legal. You want me to kill him? Ray, let's get out of here. <laughs> what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What's funny is if it's not you she's sleeping with, it's someone else. What's really going to be funny is when she gives you that look and says, I don't know what you're talking about. He looks stupid now. And welcome, you sexy motherfuckers, to our 40th episode. Unfucking believable that we have somehow survived to make it to 40, 40 episodes. Big 40. 12 to go before we finish season one. Big 4-0. And since this is a month where some of you have seemed to have backed off listening to what we've gotten for you, because. Yeah, I think we've know, lost some of those. <laughs> it's not as sexy as the war movies, but uh, yeah. I don't know. We've. Uh, after after Apocalypse Now, they've kind of sexy dipped a bit. Movie now. Yeah, yeah. We are jumping into Blood Simple, which is easily the most lesser under, known. Yeah, under Coen Brother, and Coen also Brothers. their debut. It's yeah. their directorial debut. Yes, we've got a couple. Another one next week. That's going to be someone's debut who's a very famous director. And we'll see if people jump on that and one as well. we got a supporting actor coming in two weeks in a row. Yes, yes, we do. We'll talk about that in a second. But, yeah, we're going to be doing Blood Simple. For those of you listening in the current 
state of the world in 2021 in June. This movie is available on HBO Max for you to watch without paying for outside of you having a subscription. So outside of that. If you have a subscription that or Spectrum or whatever cable network that provides you HBO, you got HBO Max secret life hack. Spectrum is for those of you who maybe live on the East Coast, I'm thinking. It used to be Time Warner way back in the day. Time Warner, yeah, yeah. So now we need sponsorship from both Time Warner and Nerf. And Nerf. I prefer Nerf. You know. I prefer, yeah. yeah let's, I mean, we... We're going for the low All I'm saying is, is, Nerf, we would like a C4-strapped Nerf football yeah. bomb and a possible pocket pussy Nerf edition. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, how about the Watch This or Die pocket, and, hey, Nerf and, pocket and, pussy and special you, edition for Nerf, Christmas? <laughs> be ready. If you make either of those without our consent or us getting some money... Yes, we're, we're coming sue for you. you. Yes. Fucking suing you. Yes, we're suing you. We're suing you for your own product. I don't know if that'll work in court, but America it seems you know we added shit to it. It's different. Absolutely, absolutely. it's not the same product. We <laughs> added and took away and took and away. Since, and I would love to see Nerf. <laughs> Nerf may go with the football bomb. I want to see Nerf go out in the land and get that. into they'll, the pocket they, pussy they'll, they'll arena. Send it to the, they'll sell it to the Department of Defense. <laughs> yeah. like they could definitely do that in um, case Nerf since, guns hey, aren't going well. Since we both don't work for our former part-time employers. Oh, we yes. can have all the patents we want. We can That's no right. one can steal our fucking yes. ideas. We probably we still shouldn't say who we used to work for just, Fuck just in case. They, they they got a lot of money. A lot yeah, of money. Yeah, they ain't coming. All I'm gonna say is they got a lot of money at the fruit stand. All right. We'll let you all guess on that. Yeah. And actually, that's a couple. They're probably yeah. like, Banana Republic? Yes. Banana Republic? Yes. Bana- we worked there. We were trying to fold khakis, <laughs> overpriced khakis. And, uh, uh, yeah. if Scott, only. Scott folded some shirts, and I was a mannequin. Yep. I just had to stay still for <laughs> yep. eight hours. He was, uh, he was a mannequin, all right. That's all we're going to say. We don't want to push any away from our podcast now. All right, so let's jump into this one since we're talking about a movie recommendation. The owner of a seedy small-town Texas bar discovers that one of his employees is having an affair with his wife. A chaotic chain of misunderstandings, lies, and mischief ensues after he devises a plot to have them murdered in the Coen Brothers' neo-noir crime film, Blood Simple. This movie came out in 1984 and was directed for the very first time ever by Joel and Ethan Cohen. They also, as usual, wrote this as well. 
I love how they always, how Joel always takes the the directing credit, and Ethan always takes the uncredited. Yeah, I know, but yet we know him as Coen Brothers. Like, so I don't know why they yeah. even do that. And they're, then they also they also edit and they go under Walter Goggins or some some name or something. Yeah, they do some some bizarre like name that's not even theirs. Yeah, assume yeah, that yeah. they do. So whatever. It stars John Getz, Francis McDormand, who would meet Joel on this project. And yeah, they would be husband. married before it actually hit theaters. Yeah. It stars Mr. Dan Hedaya, his second week in a row on the show. Sam Art Welcome Williams. Coming back. Yeah. And then Mr. M. Emmett Walsh. Emmett's got to pick one of them. <laughs> Either keep the Emmett or lose the M. One. No. You, M. Emmett. That's, you, you, I am, that sounds, I'm not the one that's going to bring that conversation I will. to that he's, man. He's 105 years old at this M. point. He's 105 years M. old. M. Emmett Walsh is not threatening, all right? <laughs> uh, First off, all you have to do is run around a circle. He's not in the kind of shape <laughs> that he's going to keep up with you, all right? So let's not pretend yeah. he's the rock, all right? If he plays a badass in, in this movie, but however, uh, however... His portliness gets him a little in trouble. I mean, we'll get yeah, into that yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. It does. It does. But, hey, if he's in Texas, it's my home is my castle law, and he'll just fucking shoot first and ask questions later. Well, I think that law applied to him in the movie. This Foreshadowing. <laughs> 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 This movie was made on a budget of $1.5 million. It grossed 3.8, which is pretty amazing for a first-time neo-noir movie in the middle of the 80s. Like, this, the yeah. Coen brothers made it big starting in the yeah. 90s. This is in late 80s, but this is, for this to, to be the, make, yeah, yeah, is pretty impressive for them. They made at least $3 million off of it. That's big. I mean, it made such a good um, amount of money that even IMDb gave them a C, cool. almost C plus with a 7.6. So, I mean, you know that it's got to be close to being a good movie if they're giving them close to eights. So that's, you know, way it's to go IMDb. I, it's because I voted on I'm sure. I mean, Fuck you know IMDb. I, I, I work for them. So, Useless. Yeah. The only good thing, they're, like I've said before, the only thing they're good for is the extra trivia stuff, finding out the behind-the-scenes stuff. Other than that, their rankings suck sweet-ass cheeks. However, my more preferred... Ratings place, Rotten Tomatoes. The critics gave it a 94, while the audience gave it an 88. Much better score. Don't know what the people at IMDb or how they decide their ratings, but they suck ass. And I suggest that everyone petitions them and tells them to suck ass and stop rating anything and just give us the behind the scenes. All we want to know. We just want to know what they were in. Yeah. Give us their... And bring back the message boards, because they were fun. Oh, yeah. P- oh, please. I definitely want to get on the message board. I'm going to start up an IMDb rating suck ass message board. You're just going to go after yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to be the first uh, one yeah, blacklisted from IMDb. Problem. I yeah. got a problem with this algorithm. Bullshit. Yeah. Anyways. These boys made this on $1.5 million, and how they made the movie is pretty amazing. We're going to get into that. Now, the finished film was brought to L.A. and shown to the major studios, all of which passed on the movie. Later that year, it was yeah. accepted into the 1984 New York Film Festival and then shown at Toronto Film Festival, where a deal was made with Circle Films to distribute the movie domestically. Yes, that Circle Films, the one you've yeah. never fucking heard of. But hey, that one, one small place took a chance. And we got the Coen brothers. This movie yeah. doesn't get made. Who knows? They they may go off and do taxes or something. Who knows? Who knows what they do? They join yeah. IMDb and they're angry. Um, <laughs> that's where that's where everyone at IMDb is. It's all failed directors, so they don't want to give anyone credit. They're not giving no. anyone fucking credit for it. No, not at all. Now a really cool thing I'm sure you know is yeah. this picture was, was also remade in 2009 yes. by Chinese director. I'm gonna probably butcher and I apologize. <laughs> However, if this person's listening, fantastic. 
Yimu Zhang. <laughs> it was remade as a woman, a gun, and a noodle soup in 2009. Yeah. Now, I have not seen I haven't watched that it. either. So I would definitely now want to see it because I want to see I'm interested how closely they did with it. Yeah. How they, what they did with the source material of this. Now, uh, did you know how they got $750,000? I do, and I think I have it in one of the reasons we're going to talk about. Yeah. Okay, so then I'll save it. It's a perfect way. We can just jump into the top five reasons. Yeah, there we go. The top five reasons to watch this movie. Number one. And our first reason is, as we've said for other directors, I think we've said this for Tarantino, and we've said this for Stanley Kubrick. It's a fucking Coen Brothers film. Honestly, there are just certain directors yeah. that get the kind of cachet that they will make... You know, except for the first two we named, although I may be a little uh, biased because they're my two favorite directors. But the Coen brothers, you know, there's a couple. There's a couple in their catalog. I'm like, "Eh, all right, that was okay. But there are so many fucking gems that they get they get a pass on some of those. Some of the ones that you're like, "Eh, all right, that was okay. And we'll probably get into those a little bit later. But this is a Coen brothers movie. It is a movie that should be seen. When they bring out something, it's worth a view. When I first saw the trailer for Oh Brother, Where Out Thou? Yeah. You know, sometimes you go, oh, I don't know. What is this? And then you go see it, and you're like, oh, no. Yep, yep, no. That was, that, was, that was genius. You're like, yeah, okay. Even Fargo. When Fargo came out in 96, yeah. they were starting to make a little bit of name for themselves, and you're kind of like, oh, I'm raising Arizona. They were kind of using that as their big kind of push and Miller's Crossing. And then you're like, oh, I guess go see Fargo. And you're like, okay, they have funny accents. And then you watch all Fargo, and you're like, Holy shit! You know, he's yeah. blown away, and we won't. I mean, and then we know our. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about our favorite. I think we both had the same number one later on. I, I agree. Even the trailer for this. So uh, prior to rewatching this, I played the trailer to show it to uh, my girlfriend Jasmine, and oh, I it's official it now. Hold and on, and I, I got I, yelled at last I, time I brought her up. <laughs> it's official. Jasmine, I, I, who <laughs> listens, welcome. You're now officially a part of this podcast. And hopefully this, this dates well, because otherwise we'll look back on episode 40. <laughs> if this doesn't go well, we'll look back at 40. You remember Jasmine back in episode 40? <laughs> Fucking dickhead. <laughs> so yeah, prior to watching it, I played the trailer. Just because it's always fun like on there, especially to play the trailers off of. Because the algorithm or whatever that generates for Apple sometimes generates not trailers. Like clips, which is great. Like I remember, I think Don't Look Now for the longest time. Starring uh, Donald Sutherland. Didn't have a trailer. If you played it, it literally just played a clip of the movie for like two and a half minutes. This one is a great fucking trailer. Great trailer. And the even more amazing thing about that is the fact that Mr. Sam Raimi got them to get $750,000 for making a two-minute trailer. And then just going around door to door, showing it to potential investors, and that they were able to generate that much money. And even better was they got Mr. Bruce Campbell. Yep, yep. To film a very big scene that we will talk about later, and that was featured in that trailer. And that's literally all that the trailer was. Is the scene that we're going to get into later was just Bruce Campbell crawling around. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. I don't know. I haven't tried to investigate to see if we can find this online, but I'm going to. You know, I, I know. I wonder if you own it, like the the Criterion Collection version. Yeah, maybe it'll have something in there. Criterion yeah. and Janus Films. Yeah. Now are the ones that own this. So John Getz is the is the male romantic lead in this movie. I don't hate him, but I don't love him. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. I don't hate him, He's but I don't love him. He's not a high point of this movie. He's not. No. 
I wonder if Bruce Campbell would have been better. He would have been. You know, I'm a I'm a huge Bruce Campbell fan. So am I. But Bruce Campbell also is a bit of Bruce Campbell's Bruce Campbell. Let's also be fair there too. Bruce Campbell is usually Bruce Campbell, and it's very hard for him to get away from his evil dead. Bruce Campbell. I I love him. My favorite is him in Army of Darkness. I love him in Army of Darkness. He's just phenomenal. And he's great in a lot of things he's in. But usually you go, oh, it's Bruce Campbell. You know, what's his name was book? The Chin That Killed whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. He literally he got that he job been because great. he was the best looking of Sam and Ed. I, I know. think it's Ed. Sam, yeah. Ed, and him were in college together, yeah. and he was the best looking one. So that's the only reason that uh, he he's was great. Ever though. His, his yeah, comedy, so his good. comedic timing is fantastic. He's a fantastic actor. I would have preferred him in this movie over John. Now I didn't research to see if he was already filming something else during this time frame. You know, I don't know if him and Sam were in I, Evil I Dead am, territory or, yeah, you know, I don't know what they, they were doing. Yeah. In between Evil Dead 1 and 2, maybe, possibly. Many say it's the same movie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Evil Dead 2 is just <laughs> the better. It's, yeah. it's, it's Redux. <laughs> yeah, really it's Redux Evil yeah. Dead. It really should be called. It's almost a time The other fun, funny thing, speaking of the Coen brothers, especially since we've talked about Another film that we did recently, Apocalypse Now, with an infamous director's cut, is the director's cut to this film is actually three minutes shorter. It's crazy. Never in history. You know, this this year we got. I don't the even know Snyder what three cut. minutes you would take out. I don't know what th- three minutes they took no out. Clue. You know what I mean? They I don't know what it would be. Three minutes randomly that they did not want in. Apparently, that's it's just crazy. It's crazy. That's how it I, happened. I wish I want to see it just to know what they cut, but yeah. Especially this year with us getting the Snyder Cut, a four-hour version of yes. a two-hour movie. Uh, for them to be like, yeah, yeah, we got the editing. Like, <laughs> we're able to edit this film now. We're going to cut three minutes. As this stated there by this. And then next week's film. When you go on your first gig, very few people yeah. get the luck that maybe like a Tarantino guy and some others like where you get to actually have creative control of your film. And I don't know why that it's just, just, I don't know why Hollywood people just, you know, you paid them the money, let them direct the fucking film. Very rarely has anyone ever done, you know, actually there is one. The one time I've seen a director's cut where I was like, oh, what the fuck happened here was Donnie Darko. The Donnie Darko director cut yeah. is garbage. Garbage. It's terrible. It ruins terrible. the movie. He changes the music. It ruins the fucking Richard, movie. Richard it's... Kelly can't direct for his, or can't uh, edit for his fucking no, life. No, it sucks. Hence, Southland yes. Tales. Well, well, yeah. But his yeah. follow-up, yeah. fucking trash. Yeah. Donnie Darko was great, as is. I was like, oh, I guess I'll watch the director's cut, because, oh, here's a little foreshadowing. A movie called True Romance, the only movie I will watch is Tony Scott's director's cut. That is far superior to the regular one. Far more violent and far better. Yeah. So I was always like, oh, it's got to be the better cut. No. Donnie Darko sucks. But we will learn, not only just this week, but next week, <laughs> that when you start off, very rarely do you get to get your hands on it. Now, here's what makes the Coen Brothers geniuses right out the gate sometimes. Is in the opening scene, we open in uh, a car shot from the back seat of two people sitting in the front driving down a rainy road. That was shot in a garage. That yeah. was shot in a garage. With multiple cars. Yes. Shot even in this, a they garage. They didn't even have the same fucking car yep. every time. Amazing. Like, shot in a fucking garage. Basically, a guy holding a light would walk towards them like he yeah. was a car and then circle out to the light up. <laughs> circle, circle back around. And they were just Show basically pouring water down on top of yeah. the car to make it look like it was pouring. 
But you wouldn't know. You really no. would not know. You like didn't know. they you did such no a great clue. job because you're just late at night. You you have no idea. They're just driving down this road, and or you think they're, and you can't see it. It's fucking yeah, amazing. Maybe later on, Lynch. I feel like borrowed a lot from this with Lost. Very Highway well could have. And um, Wild at Heart, but definitely with Lost Highway, especially with the infamous highway driving yeah. scenes of showing the road and stuff like that. Yeah. The other thing with they're just fucking opening up, showing their fucking cinematic. Uh, control is Mr. Fucking uh, M. Emmett. Mr. M. Emmett. <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh. His monologue over just their most beautiful fucking cinematic landscapes that they're showing of Texas while he's giving that monologue in the very, very opening is fucking gorgeous. It makes me want to find that drive-in that doesn't exist anymore in fucking Texas when they show the just random drive-in. It was reminiscent so of great. Raising Arizona and Nicolas yeah. Cage's voiceover. Yep. They've used voice... When they use voiceover, it's they it's yeah. very well done. It's not just No for, country. Yep. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. 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 Exactly. No country. So old men starts the same way. They've done it a couple times. They not all of their movies, but they've done it quite a few times. Actually, you know what? True Grit's the same. True Grit has an opening yep. monologue as well. It does. So there you go. If there's an opening monologue, it's gonna be a good. It's gonna be a good Coen Brothers. It's film, gonna be a, for the good, most part. Good Coen Brothers film. Even uh, I think even uh, uh, No Country has a closing monologue. From yeah, uh, no. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones has a yeah, he closed, but but it's not in voiceover. Okay, All the other yeah, ones are voiceover. So Tommy Lee Jones does a voiceover monologue in the beginning. Uh, Haley uh, Steinfeld, she does an opening monologue yes. for True Grit. Obviously Nick Cage for Raising. Um, I don't think there's one for Fargo. I don't believe there's no, one for Fargo. Not, I'm trying to not think. I don't think so. Hand. And I don't. I'm, I can't remember if there is one for Miller's Crossing. The Big Lebowski does though, doesn't it? I think the Big Lebowski has one. There's definitely. Some sort, there's some sort of monologue. I feel like in I can't remember now. Yeah, talking about Lebowski, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this has been hailed as the by critics who don't subscribe to I am fucking DB as the greatest independent American film ever. I, it's hard to hard to argue, especially given that it came out '84, and you know, I I'd love to say it was Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs, and you know, you can go back and forth, but. Critics this agree is, that this is one of the yeah. maybe the best one. Eighty-four, like, yeah, nineteen-four. This is old and way ahead of its time. Yes, this feels like it would have been in the nineties renaissance of films yeah. like this because it's yeah. really out of place in the eighties. We've kind of talked it, about that. The eighties is a very flashy, over the top. Sometimes big bangs, lots of neon, lots of you know the horror movies. Even though they're dark, they're they're full of life and and vibrance. The storytelling was completely all over the place. I mean, Gremlins, E.T., Neverending Story, Goonies, like stories that don't get told anymore. Stories you're just like, oh, you know, the most bizarre stories just get were being told. I mean, Star Wars, you had Indiana Jones, you know, big epic movies. The action movies were out of this world, and there wasn't a whole ton of. Like crime movies, you know, like in the vein that we would get, especially starting in the 90s. You know, where they would kind of go back to the 70s roots of the gritty storytelling. So for this to be as gritty and as dark as it is for 1984 is crazy. It's crazy good. Crazy good. And it's one of those films where when you watch, you go, yep, okay. It was like I knew when I saw Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. uh, Like the movie we're going to talk about next week. I don't want to give it away for that director's. Like the Coen brothers. There's just certain movies the first time you see what they've done, you go, oh, yeah. You see these guys' movies, you go, yep. All right, this 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 is definitely someone to be reckoned with, and is going to make great movies oh, that yeah. I'm going to always get in yeah. line for. Oh, definitely, it it really did. It set them up. You know, this was part of uh, my larger introduction to the Coen Brothers. With I think it was like a six pack of films. I can't remember if I talked about it on 
our Jackie you did. Brown episode with Jared, where we talked about yeah, it was either that or sets. you may have even talked about it when we did with Pantos. No, I'm, was, I'm thinking when we also did um, Raising Arizona on the yes. Nicholas Cage podcast. So yeah, because I think you, that, that was that set. like Fargo yep. was in there. Yep. Yeah, it was Miller's Crossing, Raising Arizona. Yep. Blood Simple, and then I don't. Then they packed in like the like Fargo, probably like Barton well Fink or something else. Yeah, Barton Fink, Fargo, and then or the Hudsucker Proxy, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, it was the the good old uh, Barnes and Noble collection. Oh yeah, they're gone. Before we jump on, there is one thing that I thought was pretty awesome of them to do. A lot of times, there's a thing called a MacGuffin. Basically, what the MacGuffin rule basically is is if a gun is shown in the first act, it must go off by the third act, which we do see one. But the one thing I thought for sure, and I completely forgot, I thought they used it, but then rewatching it, realized they didn't. There is this giant incinerator behind a bar yeah. that they show in full Does glory. Not get it. And it Doesn't totally is is ominous, and you it's totally underused. <laughs> exactly, and you go, oh shit, they're gonna like you're going. Someone's going in the incinerator. Like even a character says, put the bodies in the incinerator. The incinerator yeah. never gets used, and you're just never like, never gets used. But it, I mean, it's great because it's the, best the place to go. yeah, the entire time I, I was watching the movie, I'm like, oh, I think by the end someone's yeah, going to the incinerator, gonna, I, yeah. and they no, and you're just like, no. Nope. But the whole time it's in the back of your mind, like, oh shit, that incinerator is coming into play soon. And it never happens. And a nod of my hat to them because most people, you don't write that into something and acknowledge it and then be like, you know what? We're not going to use it. You know? Yeah. So I don't know if it was like a budgetary thing, a safety thing, or they're just like, you know, fuck it. We're just not going to use it. We're not going to We're not gonna stay to all the tropes. We're actually going to break yeah. this rule here. And I yeah. loved it because it's in early. It's in the first act of the movie. Yeah. And it's brought up again later. And you're kind of like, oh, it's got to be coming. Like yeah, someone's going to get used. Yeah. You're like, the end of this movie, someone's going to the fucking incinerator. No, oh, yeah. I was a little disappointed. I'm not gonna lie. I wanted someone to go in the incinerator, but but no one goes into the incinerator. Which again is a, a very good bait and switch because they definitely have an actual full blown gun MacGuffin that does get used. They do. However, it's almost one of those things where like, yeah, okay, it's a gun. Like your whole time, you're like that fucking incinerator. Because the other thing yeah. is, if you know anything about the Coen brothers, they have very unique ways of killing people. People yeah. die in very unique ways. Even when it's regular violence, sometimes you're like, oh, okay. That, they love oh, that, all right. and they love the off-screen kills. Yes, but the off-screen kills are almost always brutal. Like the on-screen yeah. kills are not nearly as brutal as what happens off-screen to their characters. Yeah, I agree. Just ask Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> For a while, oh, he's getting... He gets annihilated all the time. Yeah, he does. Inspired by hard-boiled crime writers like James M. Kane and Dashiell Hammett, the Coen brothers turn Blood Simple into an unconventional thriller that threads black comedy through its desperation. But it's no parody of a crime picture. On one hand, it's a thriller, and on the other, it is funny, Ethan Coen once explained, but certainly the film is supposed to work as a thriller, and I don't think it would work as both at once. Texas was an appealing location for the Cone brothers to film Blood Simple. Joel Cone had gone to grad school at the University of Texas at Austin and had connected to the local filmmaking community. Blood Simple was a low-budget affair, and shooting in Texas would be cheap. The Cones knew Texas would infuse Blood Simple with its unique personality shaped by the various ways the Lone Star State has been portrayed by Hollywood. Texas carries a lot of baggage with it, at least for American audiences, Joel Cohn said. He described the Texas of Blood Simple as sort of an overblown mythical Texas. The Cone brothers headed back to Texas for their triumphant 2007 film, No Country for Old Men, the winner of four Academy Awards. Now, not only did this movie launch the Cone brothers, but it also launched a couple other people. 
And we're going to get into that now in our number two reason to watch this movie. Number two. The careers that this movie also launched was that of Miss Frances McDormand, who is a two- or three-time Academy Award winner. Yeah, their latest one just being this year. Who won her first award for Fargo for her husband's movie and her brother-in-law. Mr. Barry Sonnenfeld, who was their cinematographer on this film. And a couple others. And he went on to direct... Basically Raising. every single um, uh, Men in Black movie that there is. Yeah, but before that, he crushed it though with uh, in the in the from this till 1990, he was killing it. He did Raising Big, When Harry Met Sally, Miller's Crossing, and Misery. Yeah, and then yeah. his first director debut DP. was The Adams Family. Yeah, Adams Family, The Values. He did Get Shorty, which was really good. He did Men in Black. His big, his big fall shorty. down is Wild Wild West, the ill-fated Oof. Will Smith movie. And he, out yeah. way too much with uh, Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. But yeah, you're right. He did Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Throw Mama from the Train, Big When Hammer Said Miller's Crossing, and then finished it up with Misery. But yeah, he he definitely was huge, and he was launched by this movie. And another, oh, th- to me, this is probably the biggest, and also, because I'm going to read some of what he's done, but they launched oh. uh, Mr. Carter Burwell, who is yeah. a composer. He This is the very first movie. He went on to do Raising Arizona. He does almost every single fucking yeah. <laughs> movie every with Coen that. Brothers, yes, so. every Coen yeah. film. But he did Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Doc Hollywood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, California, a great independent movie. He did Wayne's World 2, which I was surprised at. The Hudsucker Proxy, Airheads, Rob Roy, Fargo, obviously, Conspiracy Theory, The Jackal, Gods and Monsters, The Big Lebowski, Velvet Goldmine, The Corrupter, Three Kings, which we just recently did. Yes. And being John Malkovich. So interesting that he was a part of Spike Jones and David Russell's movie, which both came out in the same year. And he didn't get any for all those fucking movies that he did. He didn't get any nominations until 2016 for Carol. I know. And then in 2018 for uh, Three Billboards uh, Outside of Edmonton, Missouri. Again with uh, Francis, which is such a, it's Mm -hmm. a Coen Brothers film, not by the Coen Brothers. He also did No Country. He did uh, The Born Identity, Where the Wild Things Are. Again, another Spike Jones. Uh, the Blind Side. I mean, he's a done. Ton. He did a couple of the Twilight movies as well. Like, so he is he is well ingrained in the movies, and it didn't just launch the Coens. It launched these three other amazing <laughs> performers. I mean, Francis McDormand ends up marrying Joel. I think it was right before this movie actually went to theaters. It was right after it was made. They got married. They got they met on this film. They get married. Barry Sonnenfeld goes on to be a fantastic cinematographer and then takes over the reins and actually does some really big movies in the 90s. The Addams Family, Get Shorty, and the first two Men in Black did really well. Like He made a boatload of money, so much so that he hasn't had to do many movies. Unfortunately, he did Wild Wild West. You know, it happens. <laughs> it happens to everybody. It's his Howard the Duck. That's what it is. He did his Howard the Duck movie. Let me tell you, Carter Burwell, the the soundtrack is so fucking so good. good. So good. Like so good. Pitch the way perfect his score neo mix, noir score. With the the oh, songs that he chose phenomenal. for the music department and the soundtrack of this. Fucking so good. Uh, so good that I've been meaning to get the actual score myself. Just because I yeah. loved listening. It was so fucking creepy. Yeah. So well done. For a first time, fucking out the gate with zero budget. And Barry Seinfeld, his cinematography was fantastic in this. Oh you know, God, you yeah. forget that this he's is where he showed one. up. This is where he, he, he showed he was a force to be reckoned with. Him and the Coens came in and were like, "Yeah, we're here 
to fucking like put our name down and it's not going anywhere. The only person who wasn't a spectacular, and this is not her fault, Frances McDormand was was not bad. Yeah. The other two gentlemen, Dan Hayda and Mr. M. Emmett Walsh, were phenomenal. Unbelievable in the movie. They really carried it. John Getz is like I said, he's okay. He's you know, I don't know. I would like I said, I, yeah, I would prefer Bruce Campbell, but again, maybe Bruce was doing other things. That's a very good possibility. Now, Francis not terrible, but she clearly goes on and gets better. Like when you watch Blood Simple, go ahead and watch Fargo after that, and you'll be like, oh wow, what a jump. <laughs> Even into Raising yeah, Arizona, she's had a people. big jump. Yeah, absolutely. Now, did you know that Mrs. Holly Hunter, her roommate in school, yeah. makes a voice appearance? In this yeah. movie, yeah, <laughs> on the voicemail, so great the voicemail that she yeah. leaves, yeah. And as soon as you hear her, I mean, if you know her voice, you you hear it instantly. You're like, oh yeah. my god, that is so definitely good. Holly Hunter. Yeah, it's so cool that the two of them are both uh, Academy Award winning actresses, and they both were at Yale together. So they're yeah. not fucking. These are no, not. These are not. You're just going to Hollywood trying to make it. Yeah, yeah. Not trying to make no, it big these, in Hollywood. No. They're pretty, pretty. They, even if they didn't make it in Hollywood, they're gonna. They were gonna be successful somehow, some way. The Coens wanted to cast actress Holly Hunter, largely unknown at the time as the bar owner's wife, but Hunter had committed to doing a play in New York, so she had to pass. But significantly, Hunter thought her roommate might be good for the part. Her roommate was Frances McDormand. McDormand auditioned, got the role, and then fell in love with Joel Cohn. She says he seduced her with literature. McDormand brought only one book with her to the shoot in Austin. She asked Cohn if he had anything to recommend. He brought me a box of James M. Cain and Raymond Chandler paperbacks, she said. And then she asked where to start, and Cohn suggested the postman always rings twice. It was one of the sexiest books I ever read, said McDormand, though she included an adjective between sexiest and books. A couple of days later, she invited Cohn over to discuss the book, and over a couple of nights of James M. Cain and hot chocolate, they fell in love, and they have been married for 36 years. McDormand has two Best Actress Oscars, the first for her role in a Cohn Brothers movie, Fargo. Number three. And that is the man with two M's in his fucking name, M. Emmett <laughs> Walsh, as Lauren Visser. Technically three. Who you never hear his name, his first name. It's written, it's etched on his lighter. Now, what his character is, is he is the beginning of what I like to call a Coen brother character. Every yes. movie has at least one. Obviously, Lebowski and the Big Lebowski is that character. He's that. Yeah. It's hard to decide in Fargo if it's Peter Stoudemire or Stolmeyer who doesn't say yeah. a fucking word, or if it's Steve Buscemi who does nothing Steve. but talk. Yep. It's like the two of them are yeah. combined together. Then, one could even say it's um, Mr. Lundergaard. It could be William yeah. H. Macy. You know, right. could be another one like fucking Anton Sugar. Even though they didn't write it, but yeah, they, they definitely fucking, they, they made oh, him infamous. Absolutely. Like they, they took that character to a whole other level. Absolutely, with how them. absolutely. Um, and yep. this and Emmett playing Lauren. Lauren, I think it's I think it's Lauren. Lauren. Yeah, Lauren Visitor. Lauren playing Lauren. This is literally Anton Sugar, if you made him a sweaty drunk in Texas, not very capable of doing much. But he's do smart. Anything for money. He is smart, he is smart. But he's not. 
he's, he's not, not as no, he and he's and not as straight on killing. Cunning. He yeah. he's cunning. He tries to use his smart to smart people and set up things that happen in the film and tries to get away with things. But when it comes to him having to actually <laughs> be like Sugar and kill people, he's yeah. not great at it. You know what I mean? He, no. he can do it. He can do but it, but he's not but the if, level if, of sugar. If, yeah, if if stuff doesn't, if stuff no doesn't one's the go level 100%, of sugar. Though. Yeah, if something goes go his way one hundred percent, then he, it's not like sugar comes in and he knows exactly what he's gonna do. You can wound Shigur. He's going to get better, and he's still coming for you. Like, he's not yeah. stopping. Yeah, Shigur exactly. is basically the life embodiment of It Follows, the It Follows monster. Shigur yeah, is really coming. Is. You yeah. you can fuck everyone you want. He's still coming for you. He's not going to the first thing. He's still coming, coming for you. It's not going to stop. It's and just then, on principle. Exactly. On principle. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He kills what's-his-name's wife after burying on her principle. mother on principle. She had nothing to on do with principle. it. Her husband's oh, dead. So good. Everyone's so good. dead. Everyone's dead. He has nothing to do she has nothing to do with the money he doesn't she have even it. says that you don't have to do this and he's like no he, he, he i do thinks he does she she's the moment that the closest that his character comes to breaking is her break trying to break yep. his world by proving to him and that he doesn't have to his do standard doesn't doesn't exist so he's but, willing to walk away does. from it but he's like you know what i'll make it fair i'll make it feel like if i do walk away it was to a coin toss. And she's yeah, like, I'm no. not and calling I, And, I still and that pisses him off. I think that pisses him off even like, more. When the coin has no say, it's just you. Oh, so good. Anyway, sorry. We don't really uh, one more thing I want to just throw in there is just when he looks at his boots afterwards, when he walks out. When greatest, he cleans off the bottom, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Greatest thing ever. Yes. Again, another Coen Brothers yes. off-camera death. Now, Mr. M. Emmett Walsh's character is never actually called by his name in the film. He is named Lauren Visser in the script. In the film, the name Lauren can only be seen engraved, as I said, on his Zippo lighter. Also engraved on the edge of the lighter is Elk's Man of the Year. So he's at yeah. least the man of the year at the Elk's Club in Texas. Elk's Club. <laughs> he's hanging out there, sweating his ass off, flies landing on his eyes. Oh yeah, right up on his head scene. and it's walking up. Yeah. Oh god, it drove drove me nuts. Like I was like, God, that, get yeah. that fucking nasty bug off here. He just didn't great. Nope. Doesn't. Oh uh, my god. Now this so part great. was written specifically for the actor, which yeah. that happens in a lot of movies. There's, there's yeah. a lot of times that people are just like, you know, this is the guy I want and they're gonna go. Especially get him. if you're gonna grab somebody like this that's like uh you know, like a B list a veteran yeah. actor. Yeah. And you you got, you know, if if they had his, you know, mo- his his uh headshot there and like okay this is who we're gonna write for we know how he acts we've seen him in these movies done you know um and he he's great you know oh he's fantastic they they paid him in cash his whole salary was in cash (laughs) no so fucking good (laughs) and then prior to this he did one of both of our uh i would say probably in our top 20 or top 10 movies blade runner plays bryant yes yes and then in at least one of my favorite comedies, I don't know about you, but The Jerk, he plays the madman. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah. And then in 1986, he makes an appearance in one of my favorite cheesy horror movies, Critters. He should have been nominated for a supporting <laughs> actor in this, and the reason no, he probably wouldn't is because it's 1984. They did, you know, it wasn't no until like the 90s watched, they started yeah. to spread their, their wings yeah. and giving out to people who didn't just play these straight, narrow stories. This, yeah, it could have easily but been he like one of those easily. things where like this film didn't get nominated for anything but him popping up in a supporting category nomination, because yeah. he's fucking He amazing. was fantastic in this movie. If you show scenes of this trailer with him, you could literally disguise this film as a slasher or horror yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. 
his laugh, just the way he, just his whole presence. Yeah. Like I said, anyone who's a Coen Brother fan will know that this is one of their characters. It's one of those, it's that person that you always will remember from the movie. Always. You'll always like, oh yeah, that's right, I remember that, then that part of the movie. You will always remember one character from their movies. It just always stands out above the rest. And he's fantastic. He's fantastic in it. Now, Joel Cohen had trouble convincing Mr. Walsh to pick up his hat off the ground in the climactic ending of this movie. Walsh had a laundry list of reasons why his character would not do such a thing, each of which Cohen tried and failed to debate. After minutes of arguing on set, Joel said, can you please just humor me? To which Walsh replied, I'm humoring you by doing this whole fucking movie. <laughs> so it's so the good. irony of that is Emmett Walsh at the time, he has the cachet. The Coens don't. Now, nothing. Nothing he could do about it. One of my favorite moments of his in this movie, and as we said in the uh, beginning about the plot, is Dan Hedaya plays the owner of this bar, and he's uh, he. I think he's mixed up in other things, but we don't really know. Um, yeah, they don't, he seems they don't to mention be. anything, but he's he it's, seems it's to be. He makes, seems to make a lot of money for a bar that doesn't yeah. seem to be making them do that why, much. Why are they burning all the furniture? Yeah, I don't know. All it's the only thing they're burning. Like, yeah, they're burning the furniture. Like, I don't, I don't know, know how wild and crazy. And they got go go dancers there. Yeah, so I'm sure he's dabbling in prostitution. Maybe. Who knows? Very what else, well. So, he's definitely doing something, but we don't know what. I really had a question as to why they yeah. had those like three bar hands throwing out every wooden yeah. chair, and then the next day, there's all the fucking chairs are back. So it's like maybe don't know. The wood's cheap. He's got a fucking. <laughs> or, maybe a the Cone, or maybe the Coens just saw this. <laughs> they just saw this awesome shot. I'm mean, sorry, they just like, set yeah, the camera and filmed cool. that, and just these guys had no idea they were being on their stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's three guys who were Keep doing something them. they weren't supposed to doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I like that story better. He believes his wife, who is played by Frances McDormand, is screwing around with a guy who works at the bar, played by the amazing John Getz. Not Bruce Campbell. <laughs> the amazing John Getz, not Bruce Campbell, who's a hack. So he hires M. Emmett Walsh to basically, as a private eye, which is what he is, to yep. follow them. And I love when they're in the bar, and after we've seen that they spent a night together, that he's there and he's taking pictures and... <laughs> he is just rubbing it into Dan Hedaya. Yeah, he's, he's like, a you know, dick. He's, he's like, you know, a, they took he's not a, a friendly private eye. No, he's, he's like, yeah, they to took like a, like, they took like a water break. Like, you know, then they go right yeah. back at it, hard and heavy. Like, he's like, and yeah. then he goes, why'd you take these pictures? And he was like, why not? Like, I just, lo- he just, all he had to do was say, yeah, I followed them. They're definitely having an affair. He goes into detail about the affair, how they had sex multiple times. And they, in detail. you know, yeah. And like, Dan these, has evidence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and like, they like, took this time off for a few minutes and then go right back at it hard and heavy. And it's just like, he's not going to sugarcoat it. Cause like he says in the beginning, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, but in Texas, this is in Texas. Yeah. It's in, yeah. It's uh, in, his version of oh. Texas, that's all that matters. And he doesn't, he smirks and smiles when he's telling them stuff. Well, he throws money at him and, you know, tells, I'll go, you know, if I need you again, I'll find you under the rock. And he thinks that's hilarious. And he walks off laughing and just continues yeah. to laugh. Uh, because one, he's laughing at him. He's basically laughing at Daniel Hadea's character. I know where you can get those frames. Why'd you take these? What do you mean? Just doing my job? You called me, I knew they were there. Why'd you take them? 
Call it a fringe benefit. How long you watch her? Most of nine. They'd rest every few minutes and they'd get started again. Hmm. Quite some. You know, in Greece, they would cut off the head of the messenger that brought the bad news. That don't make much sense. No. Made them feel better. Well, first off, Julian, I don't know what the story is in Greece, but in this state, we got very definite laws about that. Second, I'm not a messenger. I'm a private investigator. And third, most important, it ain't such bad news. I mean, you thought he was colored. You're all assuming words. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Don't come around here anymore. If I need you, I'll know what rock to turn over. One of my uh, favorite scenes, I'm not going to give anything really else to this scene. I'm just going to say a little bit to, is him telling him to go on a trip and go fishing. And then when he brings back some fish for him, and he asks him, oh, you want some fish? He shows him the fish. And then when he fucking threw, throws the fish back across the table to him. It's <laughs> great. It's like, he wants fish, but he don't want that fish. He wants his motherfucking money. He is, he's just great. Like, he's mesmerizing when he's on screen. You don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't know no. what he's going to do sometimes. He doesn't. He's flying by the seat of his pants. Yeah. He's mostly goofy. Like, he really is more, yeah. he's mostly a fuck up. He's good at what he does. But then when he's asked to, to go outside his real skill set, he's not great at it. He's not yeah. great at it. We'll just say when that. He's asked, uh, when he's yeah. asked uh, to do, we, uh, I'll do it if it's, uh, what's he say? If it's, uh, if the money's good and it's legal. Yeah. And he's like, the money's well, legal. if the money's good. Yeah. He goes, well, yeah. <laughs> well yeah. I, I think so most good. people, for a certain amount of money, will will switch oh, yeah. will switch their tune as to what is good, not good. <laughs> he to changes do. his tune in oh, less than instantly. like five seconds. <laughs> he's sweating. He's got a fucking motherfucking fly crawling up his face. Yeah. He's like, I'll do anything right now at this point for fucking more money. Well, the thing he's asked to do is he is asked to kill both John Getz's character Marty and Francis McDormand's character. And he's to bring proof. And so he tells uh, Mr. Dan Hedaya's character to go fishing somewhere and let people know that he's fishing so he's out of there. Yeah, make it very obvious. Yes. Stick your finger up the wrong person's ass. <laughs> you, know, you know, a friend of mine a while back broke his hand and put in a cast. Very next day he falls, protects his bad hand, and he breaks his good one. So now he breaks that too, you know? So now he's got two busted slippers, you know? So I said to him, I said, Creighton, I, said, I hope your wife really loves you because 
For the next five weeks, you can't even wave your own goddamn hat. <laughs> That's a test, ain't it? Test of true love. I got a job for you. <laughs> uh, well, if pays right and it's legal, I'll do it. It's not strictly legal. Now, it's when they come to settle up about what's happened is what takes us to our fourth reason to watch this movie. Number four. And I'm going to put forth spoiler because it does give away something, but yeah, it doesn't give away a lot. Is, but this is like this is a middle. This is like a turn in the story. It doesn't give away yeah, the ending. It just turn. turns how you think the movie's going to no. go. So we're going to give you three, two, one. So if you've decided to stay and not watch the movie first, now you're going to know that our fourth reason is the prolonged death of Julian Marty, which is played by Dan Hedaya. Now, it is fucking brutal. Brutal scene. Talk about prolonged. Prolonged. 13 13 minutes. minutes from it. So... Of no dialogue for one large portion. Uh, so Mr. fucking M. Emmett, 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 Emmett Smith Walsh there, the guy with more M's in his name than necessary, he basically, he becomes the first guy, I think he designed Photoshop, right? He he takes a picture through did. a window of them sleeping and somehow, somehow puts in, makes it look like bullet holes. Pulls off, yeah. Uh, and bullet gives him a picture and, and, and makes him think that he's killed them so both. Good. And now he's getting paid. And in, I can't look at this. I'm going to get yeah, sick. And instead, he ends up shooting Marty and what we think is killing him. A lot of belly shots. Yes. So then the um, then John Getz's character shows up for reasons I'm not sure why he showed up to go talk to to Marty about this. Like, what can they have to say to each other? He's a fucking idiot. He is an idiot. He's an idiot. That's another thing that is in yeah. Like Francis's character is smart. M Emmett's character is fucking smarter. Even yeah, smarter. Even Julian is smart. Up to until the point he doesn't even notice he is being betrayed. Yep. Mr. Getz is no. not fucking Roy smart. Is, he has Roy no is reason to fucking shit. go back yeah. there. He's been fucking warned yep. to not go, go back there, and he's already gone. Now this is his second yep. turn to come back to the fucking bar. He is one of many, as I'm thinking about this, dumb people in Coen Brother movies. There's always... He, like, There's almost always one that of the dumb person. An idiot every single fucking film. Everyone had there's at least at least one dumbass in the movie for sure. Now, uh, so as Matt said, this infamous body disposal scene lasts just over 13 minutes, and basically there's no dialogue except for what we hear on the car radio. Well, Mr. Getz arrives on scene for reasons we'll never know and finds Marty to be dead. He finds Frances McDormand's character's gun that she has on scene, so he thinks she has killed her ex-husband. So now he's like, "Oh shit, I don't want her to get in trouble." So he takes his fucking bitch ass and puts him in his car. And this is how dumb he is. He puts him in bleeding out like a... We're about to get into it. Did he not bleed quite a bit to still eventually last as long as he did? Like, didn't it feel like he should have been dead a long time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's there's no reason that he could have. No, there's zero reason he lived that He's got a shot to the belt. Yes. 
and he's bleeding the yes. fuck out. If you see the amount of blood the, that gets car. cleaned up by a yes. shitty, yeah, by a shitty fucking 1980s windbreaker that couldn't fucking pick up. That's anything. the only thing I forgot. It's that's the only thing like, that made it to the incinerator. Which this fucking idiot forgets he throws in the incinerator. Fucking, <laughs> he's he like, does. where's he's my coat? Fucking dumbass. He's like, where's my <laughs> windbreaker? Moron. Where's my windbreaker? Where's my fucking members oh, only God, jacket? What an ass clown. Fucking idiot. Uh, That's the only thing that, right. that makes only him that incinerator. Is the fucking goddamn uh, windbreaker that he only fucking cares about. Makes no fucking sense. So he drives this guy out into the middle of fucking nowhere. And, and then for, uh, and yeah, and then all of a sudden he thinks he, it, like, he makes a sound. transitions into like a horror movie yeah. for a little bit. And it's for the first time. Again, it happens a little bit in the next Now, I had a question. This motherfucker pulls over the side of the road because he thinks he hears Marty come to life in the backseat. Yeah. He gets out of the car. He gets but he goes out the runs. pass. He goes across the bench seat. Yep. To the passenger side. Slides across now, it. I'll, we should probably tell. Side. We have a bit of a younger audience, so I should explain. Cars back in the day had one fucking seat. Now, no divider. No divider. Now, you're probably thinking, that's stupid. But let me tell you, when you're younger and you wanted to have car sex, let me tell you, the bench seat was fucking awesome. You just slid over a little from the driver's seat and everything you, happened. Scott Free living is a glory oh, now, You right can't here. do it nowadays. There's a stick shifts there. There's a, nowadays, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, there's a lot of shit. Yeah, you can get hurt. Someone's getting hurt. Yeah, it's just not fun. <laughs> so the bench seat you have in the back of your car was also in the front of your car. So this guy decides to exit the car through the bench side. Passenger side. But right near where the guy who may be dead is coming back to life kind of thing, it doesn't make any sense. He would go out that side. So he goes running off like a bitch into the fucking field. And lo and behold, somehow Marty's alive. Like, I forgot that he was still alive. I was like, wait, how is this motherfucker still alive? How is he still alive at all? Apparently he is. And he's slowly dragging himself across the ground. Now, this then leads to another yeah. Coen brother trope, which is vehicles coming upon scenes of people dying. Yeah. Fargo's a big yes. one that it happens in. Fargo, it's probably the most noticeable one. But it's yeah, it's almost a mirror to Fargo. Almost, well, almost. Except this guy drives by in a almost. truck and no one goes chasing after him. No, no yeah. one's shooting yeah. a guy across the road, which is so awesome. No one's so yet. Awesome. No one's yet. No one's firing at random fucking. Oh, cars. so awesome when that happens. Long story short, eventually he takes him to a cornfield, which again he drives out in the middle of it. Yeah. And so he buries him. You're like, okay, this must be in the middle of nowhere. However, this cornfield, this field looks like it's been recently tilled and getting ready to be planted. So yes. it leads me to believe that this body's going to be found relatively soon. <laughs> you know? Really quickly. Plus, yeah, like, once you see in the daylight well, that uh, he, he drove across. He doesn't bury him no, deep. and he drove across, oh, yeah, leaving you can tire see tracks. This fucking clear tire tracks. And he stays there all is. night after he buries him. For some reason, the light comes up, and the house that obviously has to be where the farmer lives. Yeah. It's like two, a half a football field away. It's 50 yards away from where he's parked, and he just drives. Like, we, it's fucking stupid. Let's just say. We need to do a list one day of the dumbest Coen Brothers characters. Oh, he's in there. Because Ray is he's, on the fucking... You know what, though? He, he sets the bar one. high right out the he door. He sets it real he's high bam, out of the right gate. Right out the gate. Fucking this guy. I don't guy, know if Roy. it's just him and his acting, but even if the act, he was you know a what? Yeah. stellar actor. Yeah. Like, you know what? Like I, you know Mr. how about this? Campbell. I guess the reason Bruce Campbell shouldn't have been in the film is because Bruce Campbell couldn't have come across this stupid without it being almost comical. You no, know what I mean? It yeah, it would have been like like yeah. Tommy Boy-esque comedy, like an Adam Sandler movie, yeah. you know? Yeah, if he played this, he would have been, to take it into a looks perspective, Bruce Campbell at this time would have been too handsome, I feel like, for this role in the 80s, where John Getz 
passes off as being that Texas bartender. One of my favorite uh, lines from this is when uh, he questions him and says, wait till she tells you I'm not doing anything funny. Yes, yes, yeah. And then she says it to him, and it stops him in his fucking tracks. But he doesn't say it again. He doesn't mention anything about it. Nothing. Because he's a fucking no, dumb. We only know we almost forgot is that he kicks her gun and it fires. I I, I still don't know how that happened. It's a revolver. I don't know how kicking it yeah. fires it, but it's a Coen Brothers movie Didn't and it's fine. It yeah. This fucking guy just gotta, kicks the hammer's got to be back. Kicks the gun yeah. and it goes off. That's how this how fucking yeah. dumb he is. He's a fucking clown. He's a fucking yeah, idiot. he really is. And <laughs> I wish we could get into more. <laughs> the other, uh, the other, the other thing about uh, this whole prolonged scene is when he first exits through the passenger side and runs off. Doesn't that look a lot like uh, another film with Miss Frances McDormand buying some billboards? Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, it but does. but not by the same, not by her husband and and her brother-in-law. No. So Ray is nearly caught committing murder on the road at night by a passing motorist. This would later be used by Fargo in 96, 12 years later. But for Fargo, the Coen brothers rewrote the suspense sequence so that the motorist wound up being yeah. a victim as well. Now, when this truck goes by, yeah. they don't see him. It looks like he's holding on to him or helping him or something, yeah. so you have no he, idea. <laughs> helping the most drunk yeah. man that's fucking dead but, limp getting but his again, legs dragged But again, the Coen brothers like to have brutal murders at least once in the in the movie. There's at least usually one murder. You're like, even whether it's on screen or not, you're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. There's Steve Buscemi going into one. the wood chipper in Fargo. Yep. Uh, in this one, they bury Julian Marty alive. He killed Bill's yeah. this thing before Kill Bill was a thing. He there, there's no pie main yeah, punching him out of this one. You <laughs> can't pie main punch out of this shit. Yeah. Not when in you a get shallow hammer, grave. The the hammer put down from you with that fucking shovel. I know it's still to where his head is. Uh, I know, but good. you know it's good. Watching this now. With the context of if you're a fan of the Coen Brothers, which I, I hope you are. And if you're not, please get on their movies. They're amazing. Not everyone's a hit. I'm not going to lie to you. Not everyone's a hit. And they've done quite a few of them. But there are so many that are. You'll just fall in love with them. But you'll start to, if you are a fan, you'll start to realize that they started some of their tropes in this first movie. They really start, you know, having that oh, one yeah, character that stands out. Having a stupid fucking character. Um, having brutal violence. Having just br- violence come out of nowhere. Having the story just, you know. Know, twist all over the place, not never knowing what's really going to happen. The one thing it doesn't have in here is it's not there's not a lot of comedy. There's very little comedy. I mean, our man uh, Mr. Emmett Walsh is a bit of the comedy, but he's, he's the most comedy. He, yeah, but and, not and, intentionally. And it's just him being himself. No, it's just him being. Yeah, his character. I mean they get more and more ridiculous sometimes as their movies go on. And then they pull it back a few times too in a couple of their movies, like Miller's Crossing, Fargo, No Country. They pull back that over the top humor. So. Now, all the events of Julian's death leads us to our fifth and final to watch this movie. Number five. Now, we've already given you a spoiler, so we're going to yeah, talk about the climactic the ending. Double spoiler. I love the end because Ray out. fucking dies. Ray goes down. He is shot so good. with like a sniper-like rifle and, from oh Emmett my God. through a window. Such a great... Have you watched Targets yet? It had a very 
Hitchcockian feel to that ending. Yeah. The way the light and turning on the light and seeing through the window. Like yep. There's a lot of Hitchcock in that shot. A lot of low shot. light scenes, a lot of yeah. natural lighting. Even um, the way it ends, even so the way good. she, you know, puts the knife in his hand, it's like there's really pushed into Literally, it. Literally. It, oh, it turns into turns into a fucking, it transitions quickly from like a Western shootout into almost a slasher. Yeah, no, film. absolutely. A, a, definitely like a home invasion type of film. So he is shot. Thank God he goes down. And now Emmett is trying and to come kill Francis shot. with that the, with the target over him. Yeah, and it takes him out. That that reminds me of that's why again I want you if you haven't watched it yet targets when I talked about it during our recap of last year. So fucking good. But the other thing too that I'm sh- I'm sure you probably think is a lot of this ending reminds me a lot of a duel again in No Country for Old Men taking place in a hotel room. Yes, but it also is one of their more unique endings of their film. You know, like it really is unique. Like even Fargo doesn't end like this. You know, like it, this is a very unique ending where the actual climax really does go to who's going to outlast who. So Roy gets dispatched quickly, thankfully. He's <laughs> on. And then he comes in for her, and she is very good at sneaking away from him, uh, Emmett's character. Yeah, just waiting him out. She thinks that she has snuck out the window and gone in another way. So he's going to try to sneak into that room, too. And he puts his hand around the window and lifts up the sill, and she puts a fucking knife right through the hand. Puts a fucking buck knife straight through his fucking hand. So fucking good. Now, the gun we talked about earlier, (laughs) which Fuckface kicks, we see in the movie, and this is the MacGuffin. It shows the weapon. And it shows that there are three bullets in it. There can be six, but there are three. The first bullet is fired by Mr. Visser, Mr. Lauren, played by M. Emmett Walsh. He kills Marty with the first shot, or technically puts the you know the death shot through him that eventually Roy finishes yeah. him off with. Roy yeah. fires the second round by kicking the stupid fucking thing when he stumbles upon uh, Ray. She's saying it, Roy. Ray kicks the second time when he stumbles upon fucking Marty's dead body. And the final bullet is when Abby gets uh, Lauren. And what I love about that scene is his hand is stuck. He pulls out a gun and just starts firing through the wall, hoping to hit her. Firing through the fucking wall. Now, he may be trying to hit her, but then he he does it to also make the wall weaker because he then punches through it and slowly pulls the knife out of his hand. Fucking slasher. Absolutely. Status there. It's so fucking good. And that fucking. Talk about a masterclass in, in, in your directorial debut showing a masterclass in minimal lighting with I'm telling the shot you, of all the bullet holes. They definitely use a lot of, it could even be uh, not just Hitchcock, but Kubrick has some good early, yeah. a movie called The Killing and another one called The Killer. Yes. He has some great newer, neo, or not neo, he has some great noir, black and white movies that we never got into. We may talk about, maybe we'll do some old movies in uh, one season. I feel like they definitely, like Tarantino, they saw something and then they took it and made it their own and you know and and really really worked in that scene i definitely agree that's like um one of my favorite shots that's just not a like cinematic landscape coen brothers shot of them establishing how later on in their career they're gonna just we can film fucking Texas like no tomorrow. Yeah. Like they filmed Arizona like no tomorrow either. They, they've filmed Arizona and Texas like nonstop. They're great at capturing. They're great at, the at landscape bleak landscapes, of an area that they're like in. deserts, yep. like you know whether it's a and, actual and, desert or a snow desert. They do a great job with them. Yeah, that shot of uh, 
of those of just the light coming through those bullet holes and then it transitioning back and forth with Francis. And this is kind of where Francis really kind of starts to show more of her range in the subtlety of her handling this intense like mano a mano scene that's going on between the two of them. I love that. Once he's free and he knows the gun, he's got his hand free and he's shot the gun off and he has nothing left in his gun. I love that he, when he picks up the head, even though he didn't want to, and he puts it on his head and he starts walking towards us, he knows he's now the target. Like, he's like, fuck. Like, he, it, you can see yeah. in his face, he's hey, like, this shit. This is when he's, the table's yeah, turned. He's got he a knows. knife and a sword and, and a bru- bruised hand and he's like, yeah. all right, I got to try to make it to this door. He doesn't have a nope. gun anymore. And yeah, yeah. He's bringing a knife to a gunfight. And then Francis McDormand does what all female characters in noir movies do and that is take one good shot and seem to hit dead center mass. Through the door. Blast him. Hits him and down he goes. Right in the belly. And then she walks in, and then Emmett Walsh, he already did this great laugh earlier in the movie when he leaves uh, her husband's bar after <laughs> telling him about their tryst. And he's laying there, and he's laughing. He starts to laugh. And then I love his line where he's like, if I see Marty, I'll give him your love or something like that. I just love, And then he just goes. I love that it's just that kind of like... He knows he's dying, and he knows he's going to hell if that's what he believes in. And he's like, I know I'm going to see Marty there. And if I do, I'll get, you know, send him, yeah, I'll I'll tell him hi for you kind of thing. So, so great. So, so great. great. I'm not afraid of you, Marty. I see him. I'll sure give him a message. The other uh, great thing, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, but uh, Mr. M. Emmett, fucking thank God this is the last time I have seen that, did not want to pick up his head off the ground. Yeah, no, I just, I just that mentioned that. Scene. I mentioned that back in number but, three. But it, did you say how... Yeah. The reason why he said he was going to do it? No, they they begged him, and he said the re- and he finally said because this I'm doing your yeah. favor by doing this movie. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Matt, Matt so must good. have so good. alcohol, fetal Fucking alcohol idiot. syndrome, kids. It's very it's a real thing. Fetal, fetal <laughs> <alcohol>. <laughs> it is a real thing. What the fuck was that? Jesus Christ! Fuck! Oh, shit! Damn it, Rick! I swear to God. Fucking lines and burst yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. Well, you're drinking all night. Fucking drinking again. Eight goddamn fucking whiskey sours. <sighs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> you're a fucking miserable drunk. You fucking remembering your fucking lines. I practiced them and now I don't look like I goddamn practiced them. You're sitting there like a fucking baboon. <laughs> That goddamn Jim Stacy. You're gonna show all of them on that goddamn fucking set who the fuck Rick Dalton is, alright? Let me tell you something. You don't get these lines right. 
I'm gonna blow your fucking brains out tonight. Alright? Your brains are gonna be splattered all over your goddamn pool. I mean it, motherfucker. Get your shit together. This is definitely a movie you need to see. And I hope people... I've had this conversation with Matt. There's other podcasts I've listened to that do... Some movie stuff, yeah. more movie reviews, not necessarily recommendation, but movie reviews. And I'll be honest, I will pick the ones I like too. So I'm not mad at you if you haven't, but if you do listen to this one, you are listening to us right yeah. now. You can definitely you can see around. this movie. You will be happy, yeah. especially if, if you're you a Cohen fan. Blood yes. Simple, fucking watch yes. it. The world is full of complainers. The fact is, nothing comes with a guarantee. Now, I don't care if you're the Pope of Rome, President of the United States, or Man of the Year. Something can all go wrong. And go ahead, you know, complain, tell your problems to your neighbor, ask for help, and watch him fly. Now, in Russia, they got it mapped out so that everyone pulls for everyone else. That's the theory, anyway. But what I know about is Texas. And down here, you're on your own. It's time to make some lists. All right, so this week, if you haven't figured out who's top five movies we're going to do, <laughs> we're we doing the Coen Brothers. Do. And if you don't know our number one already, you're, I don't know, you haven't listened to the podcast. I'm pretty sure we have the same number one. Actually, I'm going to go on a limb and say our number one and number two are the same. However, yeah. I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure. But this being an even I'm week, curious. I will open us up, and obviously we'll do the piggyback that we've been doing for a while now, and then uh, we'll, we're going to find out. I think one and two are the same, but we're going to find out. So I will start with my number five, and it might surprise Matt that it's this low, because I think it might be higher on his list. And there's a lot of movies I left out, and actually I mentioned one of them earlier, and that was Oh Brother, and I yeah. didn't. It's not in my top five. Yeah. Because there, there there's easily ten. There's ten it's solid movies. Either. Ten solid movies. Yeah. My oh, number yeah. five is something Matt and I went and saw over a year ago, and that's The Big Lebowski. I remember seeing Big Lebowski when it first came out. I remember people not exactly knowing what they were watching. And even myself at first, I was like, yeah, it wasn't bad. I will admit, though, that movie has grown on me more and more. It's one of those movies, the more you watch it, the better it becomes. It is an unreal fucking movie. It is so fucking good. You have to watch. It's one of those movies you just have to watch of theirs. Like, I feel like if you say The Big Lebowski and you say Fargo, those are the two movies people are going to know if they know anything about the Coen brothers. I think those are the two movies that would resonate for people who have any idea who the Coen brothers are. You would think, oh, I know about the Big Lebowski and I know about Fargo. If you don't know about the dude, you've been sleeping on a motherfucking rock. You sleep on a fucking rock. So definitely check out the Big Lebowski. So my number five is the Prohibition era crime film, Miller's Crossing. I fucking love Miller's Crossing. Again, first time I watched it was when I watched this film. In the good old Barnes and Noble it is box set, so fucking good, uh, so fucking good, so good, fantastic movie. It's you an amazing talked about it. gangster film. I think we didn't. I don't. I don't know if yeah. we, I can't remember if we under, put it in our gangster. If one of us did or it not, didn't. I don't think it made either of our lists during it. But it is. It's an underrated gangster film. Film. And Gabriel it's so Byrne, fucking good. Albert yeah. Finney, John, John, John Turturro, Steve Buscemi's in a little bit. So yeah, good though. Steve. So good. So good. So good. My number four also stars the star of The Big Lebowski. It's True Grit. I When we first started this podcast, True Grit oh, we talked okay. about a lot. I love yep. True Grit. Love True Grit. 
it may be coming up at some point before the season ends. Who knows? True Grit is absolutely amazing. It's a great, great remake. It's better than the original. I don't give a shit. Uh, it's way better than the original. It is just... Uh, I don't know. It's so well done. The acting in it is unreal. Haley Steinfeld, who has gone on to become music famous, all, all kinds of famous. She yeah. is unreal Fucking in everything. this. She got an Academy nomination so in this. I absolutely loved this movie. It is a, a great, team. great fucking Western movie. And it's their only Western movie that I can think of. Oh, well, Buster Scruggs, they got back into it. But outside of that, this is one of those movies they don't pull punches in. You know, they obviously it's a remake, but they stick strong to the material. It's dark. It's unrelenting. The performances are phenomenal. Oh, it's, it's easily one of my five favorite Westerns, if not maybe my top three, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, we both apologize ahead of time. True Get Coen Brothers is better than John Wayne. Sorry, love Absolutely. John Wayne to death. I'll fight some. I don't give a shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's so much better. That'll bring me to my number four, starring one of our most favorite actors, if not our favorite actor, Mr. Motherfucking Nicolas Cage, Raising Arizona. (sighs) All I keep thinking of is him doing his shuffle. While we've been recording this, I've been thinking of Coen Brothers films <laughs> in my head, and I keep thinking about the shuffle so and the grocery good. store so and, the, and the gas station trying to he just, is, he's like, awesome. get out of there. He's fucking amazing in it. I wish he would appear in more Coen Brothers films because I feel like he strives at Well, when we talked about like it, they this. had disagreements or something on set, which is weird because... Like you said, like he feels like one of those mainstays for a Coen Brother movie. He is, I don't know, he just he embodies high. He embodied High McDonough. Yeah, he does. And he fits their criteria perfectly. Like, of that quirky, offbeat actor that's willing to take on these strange characters, like Steve Buscemi. Yes, Steve absolutely. Steve Buscemi, you know, fantastic actor. I don't think he's ever been nominated in his life. That's a travesty. At all. And, yeah, but yet again, he still picks up all these great little supporting fucking characters and even minor uh, major characters, like leading characters, that he just goes unnoticed for it because they're offbeat characters in very offbeat movies. So you'd think the two of them would just mesh together well, but apparently not. They rubbed each other the wrong way, and it's too bad. It's disappointing. Disappointing. Now, my number three was your number five, Miller's Crossing. Is one of my favorites of theirs, obviously. Uh, so good. It's so, so good. Like, it, it is seriously underrated. Seriously underrated. I'm sure people on this like, Miller's Crossing. It's uh, I, it's hard to describe. It's so fucking good. How good Gabriel Byrne is. How good the twists in that movie are. How good all the acting, the set pieces, and everything. It's just, it's fantastic. It's such a good fucking movie. Uh, Talk about them ahead of their time bringing in uh, subtle gay characters. Yes, yes. John Turturro. Yes, him. John Turturro like, and the Fink played by Steve Buscemi. The Fink, oh, and yeah. Steve Buscemi meets so a good. horrible end in it. That, oh. So, so good. So good. It's an amazing movie. So, my number three is your number five. It is The Big Lebowski. And it's my number three. It's your number five. Obviously, from me fucking up and not remembering an entire section that you talked about. Mr. (laughs) M. M. Emmett. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you're... It's because I I like White Russians. Apparently. And as Scott knows, the last time we watched this movie, I drank nothing but White Russians while we watched it because they were serving them And it was the only way we were able to get through Jesus Rolls, which is disappointing because it's my favorite John (laughs) Turturro 
character is Jesus. Yeah, so I fucking good. love him. Jesus in that. is fantastic. They destroyed it. In uh, that he film. destroyed it. It was him. It wasn't. Yeah. <sighs> it was him. Yes. He, he took it out himself. Yes, I know. He took it on and destroyed he it. He did. Himself. He tried to make him something he's not. Unfortunately. Not enough. Oh. White Russians can get no, you through that. No, unfortunately, film. we were hoping. We were hoping. And and then even at that point, when you're crashing like I was from the, <laughs> all the White Russians there in the Big Lebowski and through the first act of Jesus Rules, then Pete Davidson comes in to just really fucking yeah, kill yeah, your yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think Jesus Rules brought on the coronavirus. Everyone wants to blame China. I uh, believe it. It was a week later. I fucking blame, a week or so I later, it was Jesus. over with. Yeah. Yeah. I blame, I blame John Cicero. Yeah. All right. So we are now in the top two territory. All right. So yeah, I think... <laughs> I could be wrong. My number two is Fargo. Fargo is absolutely phenomenal. We've talked so about good. it. Steve Buscemi yeah, means Steve Buscemi. Oh, so good. Death. Francis McDormand, her Academy Award winning in it. Um, Peter Stottlemyre is fucking amazing in it. We barely talks. Yeah. William H. Macy, holy so fucking shit, is he amazing? God, he's <laughs> you good know, in that movie. It's funny. We can do a list of of pathetic William H. Macy roles. No, I think Lundergaard the is there. And the one from um it, Boogie Nights. Yeah, Boogie Nights. Absolutely. Boogie Nights. Boogie, oh Boogie Nights is his like his brother lived in California. That's yeah. 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 Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. yes. Fuck you, man. You're fucking my wife. <laughs> like, I fucking love it. I love it. Well, fine. So I'll do a lot count, all right? <laughs> yeah. That's so I'll good. Uh, like, can you close the door? That's so fucking good. <laughs> so uh, fucking good. So, my number two is your number yeah, two. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah. Fargo. I had no doubt. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. I, I mean, and the only reason that Fargo is number two because their Academy Award winning No Country for Old Men, which we have talked about almost half as much as we did the rest of this movie, is I think yeah. both of our number ones. Because it is. It is. It's a fucking masterpiece. It is absolute masterpiece. It could blend into like any time. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. You could change change the cameras, change yep. the fucking film quality of this. And put it back yep. into the seventies, and it would still be a fucking mess. And once again, it's in Texas, and once again, they just show a bleak eighties yeah. Texas, and it is. They do McCormick's book such justice. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous filmmaking. It deserved every award it got. Yeah, I mean, they brought in some actors who have it never brought- been in their in their movies before. I'm mean, Anton Chigurh. Yeah. Woody Harrelson's great in it. Uh, it's just. Fantastic. Tommy Lee Jones is heartbreaking in the fucking thing. He is amazing yeah. in that. Him and who, I can't remember the name of him, but the guy that plays the sheriff prior to him. The younger, which one? Oh, the guy who gets choked out or the guy who's younger? No, oh, the, the, guy, oh, the old the guy, guy who sits at the end. The, yeah, the, the cat's right where flies are all over the place. That, yeah, oh, flies all he's over the place. Great like, too. He's showing the end of like the worst mm-hmm. place that Tommy Lee can get to. And it's so good, yep. and like the, the coffee scene. Like, yep. you want a cup of coffee, and he's like, "When'd you make this?" And he's like, "I don't know. I make a pot, yeah. I drink it, yeah. and then when it's done, I drink another pot yeah. and make another pot." So, so fucking good. good. Josh Brolin. It brought Josh Brolin back <laughs> into. He's so good in this movie. If if it wouldn't wasn't for this movie, I don't know if we would have Josh Brolin in all the films that we see him in now. True. Playing fucking Thanos and playing. Fucking um, his amazing piece of shit character in fucking Sicario. Or he's also like, Cable in the Deadpool. 
Part two. And Cable, fantastic. Like, it, it revitalized his career. It's brilliant. Um, it brought movie. fucking... It brought Javier Bardem <sighs> fully into American yeah. if cinema. If you didn't know him before, then you and know him like, now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it, it brought him into full American cinema. And then, like, he just got, like, that... It, it made the Beatles' haircut like frightening. You know what I mean? He yeah. had like the Ringo Starr haircut, and it was absolutely terrifying. Classic fucking oh, movie. Absolutely. So many notes, especially on the rewatch of this. Definitely, extremely during the climax of this film, I was thinking so much about No Country of Old Men. And I was like, holy shit! Like to be a fly on the wall back then, thinking and, and be able to whisper in their ears, like, "Hey, you guys are gonna go <laughs> on know. to like do crazy fucking yeah. shit," and like. If it wasn't for films like Blood Simple and them establishing oh, yes. the way they want to shoot scenes and the way they want to fucking have like their whole fucking story arc go, it they wouldn't be able to handle Cormac's yeah. writing. So there you have it. I knew our one and two would definitely match up. So we had three of the same. So we have seven. Seven Coen Brother movies that we highly suggest, but honestly... This There's is, so this many is different like movies the, to the see. Beginners yes. guide to these are the ones the you Colin need Brothers. to see. These seven with this one see. eight. You need, but so just keep going. Yeah. Like there's a couple you'll be like, uh, like Burn After Reading, amazing with Francis McDormand's in yeah. it, and so is Brad Pitt. Like great. Speaking of Francis McDormand, how about that? We are going to do our five favorite Francis McDormand movies. Now I can tell you right now. <laughs> this year's winner will not be on mine. And if you don't know why, go back to the episode where we talk about the Academy Awards. I wasn't a big fan. Anyways, I like Frances McDormand. So we're going to do her top five. Matt will start us off and I will close us out. Matt, please give us your number five Frances McDormand film. And I will preface this too. A lot of them are probably going to be, at least two thirds of our answers are going to be Coen Brothers films because she's in a lot of Coen Brothers films. Yeah, she's in a lot of Coen Brothers films. With that, I want to start it off with Scott's least favorite film of 2020. Frances McDermott shitting in a motherfucking bucket in her fantastic portrayal of a destroyed woman in No Man Land by Chloe AKA Zao. So fucking Hobo good. Hobo Meat Drain. Hobo Meat Drain. <laughs> so good. Frances, like, it's now especially after going back and watching her debut, thinking back and watching No Mad Land. It is insane to see her progression as an actress. As a fuck actress. As an actor. Should just be actor. Shouldn't be actress, actor. Should just be actor. Because there there should be no fucking dividing category between the two of them. Make them compete against each Doesn't other. That, what's it. her name in um, Once Upon a Time says it's stupid to call him an actress. <laughs> she makes it whole, no, the whole uh, thing. Yeah, Julie yep. Butters. The, the, that's her That's her actual real name. Yeah, Julie Butters. Because it, it, yeah, it, it's, what she call She says it's redundant. <laughs> like She's not wrong. But, uh, yeah, so it, it, she's very truthful. Very truthful. And that's why Mr. Quentin Tarantino may have cast her in a film and probably will she'll go on to do great things. But No Man Land, I fucking love it. I love Chloe Zhao. Can't wait for the fucking Eternals. See what she does with the Marvel Universe. Francis can keep on doing stuff and give very awkward speeches where she howls and Joel looks <laughs> in the crowd like he wasn't served enough drinks to get through the night. Hmm. <laughs> well, my number five is the first movie she gets nominated for as supporting actress, and that is Mississippi Burning. A haunting true story that yeah. 
you know, many years down the road, you think, oh, okay, that was a long time ago. And now, boy, has it. Yeah, not, <laughs> not so, so, not so long much. Ago. Uh, from the 1964, three civil rights workers, <laughs> uh, two Jewish, one black, they go missing in Jessup County, Mississippi. And it's the FBI gets involved, and it's, it's, it's a tragic, true story with great acting. William Defoe's in it, so is Gene Hackman. But yeah, if you really want to see Frances McDormand really start to cut her teeth, this is the first movie she gets nominated in. And uh, it's not too far. It was four years after she did this movie. So like we talked about, she really picked it up. You know, she wasn't great in Blood Simple. She wasn't terrible because <laughs> Joe Getz really drags that one down. Oh, yeah. But she really, you know, shines. You would have you know? to really try. And this is her third film. This is her fourth film that she's in. She starts with Blood yeah. Simple. There's two more in between, and then she says, and she gets nominated for Academy Award. So that's it's pretty yeah. impressive to be in your fourth film, you know, and you're already nominated yeah. for supporting actress. So that's my number five. Yeah. So uh, my number four is the 2017 not Coen Brothers film that seems like a Coen Brothers film, Three Billboards Outside of Abington, Missouri. Now I had a major problem with this film when it first came out. I remember you saying you hated it. A, I did hate it for a long time because it's very much a white guilt film, in my opinion. But she is fantastic in it as uh, angry. I wouldn't even say grieving. Yeah, no, she's it. fucking pissed. She is angry. And she wants to find out what the fuck happened with her fucking daughter and solve it. Um, it's just, she is fantastic in it. She is carried around her by fantastic supporting cast. Specifically, Sam Rockwell, who... Also won the Academy Award. They both won the Academy Award in this category. They both won it. And, yeah. And, man, like... I just, like... This is a film that I battled with in 2017. I battled with it for a long time because I fucking hated it for so long. And I just thought it was just a very, very white guilt film. The more I watch it, the more I appreciate it for what it is and for how real these characters are. How, how real Sam Rockwell's character is as being ra- the famous scene in it when he fucking finally snaps in that one take scene and he fucking crosses the street, goes over there, beats the <laughs> fucking shit out of that kid, throws him out the fucking goddamn window, punches his girlfriend <laughs> in the fucking face, goes downstairs, pummels him more, and then goes back into the police station and says, see, I don't just... Hate black people. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's fucked. But like to think back on like all of them to now, I I slowly started to appreciate it more for the fact that all these guys were willing to get involved in such a controversial subject and the way they handled it. For Sam to take on a role like that, fucking kudos to him because I don't know a lot of fucking actors that want to touch that fucking role with a fucking ten foot pole. Because yeah. you're 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 gonna get yeah. looked at as a fucking racist for playing that character, yep. um, and she is just fantastic as this fucking just angry, not even grieving at all, angry mother, and it's so good. My number four is she plays Elaine Miller in Almost Famous. She also was nominated for a supporting actor. She is yes. the. This is basically. Um, uh, what's his name there? Uh, Cameron Crowe. This is basically Cameron based Crow. on his younger life. So she's basically yeah. playing his yep. mother who uh, believes he's 
a young boy for all, forever. Like he's basically like Peter Pan. And rock yeah. music yeah, is yeah, like yeah, basically yeah. no, no rock music. Yeah, and she's His amazing. Sister, like, in it. Him with the <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah, oh, it's a great. God. It's a Billy Cutup skin. The great movie. But you forget yep. she's in it. You forget she plays such a bitch. So, yeah, you Phil, hate her. Uh, Phillips Hopmore's in, um, and what's her name there? Um, Kate, Kate Hudson. Hudson's fantastic in it. Yeah, she is. Fantastic. Yeah, Jason yeah, Lee's like in it. He's good. Anna Paquin, Feruza Balk. I forget so in it. Yeah. People. Yeah, so many great, great people. movie. And Nancy Wilson of Heart does all the music for it. So, yeah. a great, great movie. So She's excellent. I mean, that's again, we've basically have named the four movies we've already said. Uh, two of them you've named. She's won the Academy Award, and my first two she was nominated for. So, look, yeah, as much like, as I wasn't a fan of Nomadland, she can really fucking act. She's a, she really can. She's a powerhouse. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's a fucking yeah. powerhouse. You can't fuck with her if she's around. No, not at like, all. She's. She's our male. She's the our generation's male street. Yeah, or yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, so most recently she just won two close back to back. I think there's another yeah. one we'll talk about because I'm pretty sure it's up to the top of our list. One of them too that we'll talk about. But yeah, I mean, she gets nominated for like for quite a few too. So she she yeah. can act. I mean, there's some movies she's in. You're just like what? Like there's one that yeah. look one I'm gonna talk about later called Johnny Skidmarks. We'll get into that one. No, I was kidding. <laughs> you know, we all take they all take movies to to pay some rent, but uh, you gotta yeah. take an L but here. But she, there. but for the most part, when she does, when she is on screen, she is a powerhouse, for, uh, very very yeah, strong. She is. So yeah, with that, uh, this is really easy. So my number three is almost famous because she is so fucking good as that protective mother. It is. Like haunting, yeah. <laughs> like if you don't get chills listening to her and looking at her, yeah. like she's the mom that either you were at your fucking friend's yeah. house and you were fucking terrified yeah. of, or your own mother when you were fucking yeah. terrified of her. Yeah. She's like, that overbearing, she is... overprotective. Yeah. Yeah, so good. Pushes the kid to do the wrong thing anyways because she doesn't realize she's the reason he's doing yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I'm doing it because yep. of you. Like yes. Ah, oh, so good. And then she's followed by so many great supporting oh, God, performances. Yes. Her being a supporting performance in this yeah. film. But she's like she's a standout. Um, thinking back onto Almost Famous with how many like iconic fucking scenes of it, whether it be I Am a Golden God or um them singing fucking Elden John in the bus. Yeah. Tiny Dancer. Fantastic. Think, yeah. And in my head, her yelling at him <laughs> immediately comes to mind Absolutely. when I think of Almost Famous. That's interesting. We our threes and fours have flipped. My number three was your number four. That's three billboards outside Reading, Missouri. Her second Academy Award winning performance. It is a spectacular movie. Is she is stellar so in it as a grieving, pissed off mom and Sam Rockwell. The two of them are pitch perfect They're on so screen together. Good. Amazing yeah, together. They are. So, Hopefully we'll uh, get to see them again. Yeah, together. this is great. I mean, they both got awards. They both deserve. And they were they were spectacular in that film. I liked it yeah. better than Norman Land, but whatever. That's Matt's choice. So, but there you go. So our <laughs> three is, and fours have flipped. So it is. It is. What I it think is. our one may be the same, but I'm interested to see what your two is and see if, see if we're even close. Yeah, I I'm curious here. But yeah, so my two is her showing her comedic range in the Coen Brothers film Burn After Reading. Her paired up with Brad Mr. Brad Pitt. Pitt. So fucking great. Physical trainers. <laughs> oh my god. Fucking so good. Uh, the, it really is. The, everyone. Every this is like uh quirkiness uh, to so Max. I mean you're freaking John Malkovich he, is in this. Richard Jenkins. Yes. It's fucking insane. 
And it's yeah. mine. It's George, mine number two as well. George Clooney with the sex George machine. George Clooney the sex making scene. the sex machine <laughs> with the fucking so with the goddamn so, fucking dildo. Like uh, how he thinks so that this is something good. that's actually gonna uh, be a thing. It's so it's just so fucking Great. ridiculously good. Uh, I love that it didn't make the Coen Brothers list, but it's making the Francis list. Like I said, it's one of those movies that didn't make it only because of the ones I put on, but I love this movie. And that's why she's my, yeah. it's my number it's two so as well good. because it's so fucking yeah. good. She's so good in this movie. She's great oh, in it. Yeah. Everyone in that movie is amazing. They're amazing oh my God, yeah. in this movie. He, oh. He, yeah, they all do. And it is, it is one of those like films where either I feel like people that watch this either fucking hated it or loved it. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how you can hate. Well, I get. I mean, look, there are some of their comedies that you, that can be a little oddball and can be sometimes like yeah. uh, like Hail Caesar was like. Uh. There's a few. A few yeah, like, see, uh, I, I like Hail Caesar, all right. but I, I, I uh, definitely know people that didn't like it. You know, there's a few. Okay, this burn after reading is. Brad Pitt is great. I think we, I think we put. So, when we oh talk about Brad Pitt. I think it made my Brad Pitt list too because he's so fucking good it, in this movie. Made, oh my god! Yeah. Oh. His, his fucking his his untimely oh, goofy he's death. So good. Uh, Only to be one up by his surprise death scene in Deadpool. 2. Yes. Again, two times we get to mention Deadpool two and uh, Cable. John, John Malkovich, <laughs> just all so amazing, so amazing in yeah. this movie. What does he do? He's writing his memoirs. Yes, and he's like an old yeah. CIA guy. And he thinks people are after him, and he's like, he's so he's fucking, fucking nuts. Loser. He's lost it. Oh uh, my god, he's yeah, lost his shit. So yeah, I'm gonna yeah, call it's, it oh my god, our number one and two are the same for both categories. Our number yeah. one is was it's our number Fargo. two in the in the Coen Brothers. Yeah, Fargo. Yeah, it's her first Academy Award. It is her she most is iconic amazing. role as Marge, as the Marge, yeah. the pregnant sheriff. In Minnesota, in a small town outside of Minnesota, and she's uh, amazing, just amazing in it. Yeah. When William H Macy gets up and runs away from the interview, and she doesn't know what to do, just I mean, every little thing when yep. she has that unfortunate <laughs> incident with the Asian guy Mike from school, they you know they meet up at the, yeah. the thing, he wants to sit next to her. She handles every moment amazingly when she interviews those girls. So you were having sex with a little fella, like just yeah, it's uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's it's. Fucking perfect. the accents that they perfect. all fucking nail in perfect. this are fantastic. Uh, Everyone's accent is Marge. You gotta have a breakfast. Hey Norm, probably so need to jump. Like it's just so ah, uh, there's so, so good. much so good about good. it. She is so amazing in that movie. Even yeah, oh, it really it's just yeah. To her handling uh, her reaction, just like mentally picturing Fargo in my head, is her reacting to the climax of the film when she comes yes. up on it. It's so fucking I love what she's driving. So that's your friend back there in the wood chipper, or your accomplice on the wood chipper. And yeah. it's such a lovely day. Like, almost like, it's so beautiful out now in the wintertime. Why would you be killing somebody? Like, just so, yeah. like, oh, shucks. <laughs> like, it, she can't comprehend. Like, it's such a Why nice day. Why would you that, kill somebody? You put all that blood in the snow for oh. it. It's so pretty and white. Oh. Well, if the first time you see that Fantastic. movie and you come up on that scene, you're not prepared for it. Like you have no, no idea what's no happening. So good. Uh, that's what we talk about. That's that. If, that's that violence. If, if you weren't knocked back off of watching Steve Buscemi, yes, as an actor at <laughs> yeah, sex on yes. scene, I hear bells. Then you're really <laughs> gonna be knocked back. Oh, then, a little later, the, when his then Shep comes in and whoops his ass. <laughs> Steve Buscemi has sex twice on scene in the movie. Yeah, twice. 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 Oh my god. So oh good. god. Well. Man, I think we have oh jeez, we have four of the same. So that'll yeah. give you six Francis McDormand movies to see. Most of them are Academy Award nominated. <laughs> Burn after reading wasn't. Yeah. 
So that's a, that's kind no. of a surprise that that's the only one she wasn't. Golden Globe nominated, not burnt. Uh, yeah. Not Oscar. But yeah, so there you have it. We have six different films for Frances McDormand for you to see and seven of the Coen Brothers movies. And that will wrap up our 40th episode, which is um, astounding that we've made it this far. This yeah. fucking, fucking far. Just let's just dump Yeah, this. right? So until next time. Watch this or die. So that will do it for this week's installment. Once again, we would both like to thank you for hanging out with us and letting us gush all over you about this movie. Now, we do hope that you will enjoy it as much as we have, so please let us know what you thought of this movie by reaching out to us on our social media platforms. Now, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watch This or Die. Also, feel free to DM us your thoughts of this week's film. You can always give us your own top five list, tell us what you did or didn't like about the show, and even suggest some movies for us to watch. Now, now we hope you will join us again next week for our next movie recommendation. And as always, I'm Scott Crosher. I'm Matt LeClaire. And until next time, watch this or die.